All right, blockaders, you know what time it is. It's time to sit down with the man, the myth, the legend himself after a high day of clamming, Mr. Robin Vote. Let's sit back, relax, and make the jump into a galaxy far, far away. Man, rumor has it that galaxy's even out far past Dorchester. Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome back to Make the Jump here from the BrickCityBlockade.com podcast network. And of course, you know, you've heard some fantastic guests across the last couple months. We've been a little bit of a siesta for a little bit because there's been interesting pockets of Star Wars news and stuff, but we never slack when it comes to having guests on. Of course, sitting across from me on this episode of Make the Jump, I don't even know when the last time I had this guy on Make the Jump. Maybe they're we were talking about some Sith Lords at the time, but it's Mr. James Brown himself. James, how are you this evening, my friend? I'm good, man. How are you doing tonight? I am doing fantastic. And of course, all the way at Georgetown University is our good friend, Dr. Patrick Johnson, the author of The Physics of Star Wars. Patrick, how's it going this evening? It's going quite well. Thank you for having me on your program. Yeah, we're super excited to break it down. James, I know, that you, listen, you came to me first and you said, yeah, dude, there's this guy who wrote this book about <laughs> physics and it's connected to Star Wars and I think we need to have him on. And James, you Absolutely. told me this and I was like, go ahead. It's like, tell, tell us how this all happened because I'm super So I've always had a love of physics and one of my biggest issues with uh, The Force Awakens, or sorry, The Last Jedi, when when we went to the theater and we came out and I was like superbly angry afterwards, um, feeling like I've been gypped and everything, was the the uh, faster than light collision between two large masses coming and, and one of them's moving in your light speed and one of them's stationary. And I had an issue with the fact that the energy released from an explosion of that size or an impact of that magnitude at that speed would quite literally uh, obliterate every, uh, um, not notwithstanding uh, the planet that they had just landed on as well. And, and that goes back to, you know, you know, theory of general and spatial relativity. And I had I had this huge issue with that. And um, after a while, I was like, oh, it's just, you know, it's Star Wars and it's, you know, nothing ever really makes sense. So uh, my girlfriend, who's a fantastic human being, as, as uh, Patrick pointed out in an email between us, came home with uh, the physics of Star Wars one day and she hands it to me and she just smiles. And I'm just like, well, my life is complete now. So I began reading it. And within the first few pages, it was I was hooked. I was into it. And, and as I stated earlier, uh, when, when we were off the air, I fully admit that I have not had to finish the book yet. Work schedule. However, I'm about halfway through and there's this nice little stack of points inside the book that I was like, oh man, we got to talk about this. And if you look at it, it's actually literally like every other page. So I'm going to ignore those because that's going to take way too long to go over. It's a fantastically well-written book. Um, it's funny. It, it puts physics into a term that um, even the, uh, the the stoutest of millennial uh, yeomen can understand. It is it is very interesting as well, and it puts things in a universe that doesn't entirely make sense into a light of a light of focus that maybe this actually kind of makes sense in in a, in a weird way. There there are three specific points I do want to touch on out of the book that we will get to. So far, when I've been going over it, and I am not a professor in physics as you are, um, I have yet to find a single issue with uh, with the math or or with the with the concepts applied to to the situations in the book. And I'm actually really, really, really enjoying this, and I really, I really can't get over how much I'm actually enjoying reading this book. 
what really inspired you to write this book? I've read the intro and everything, but I'd like to hear in your words, what inspired you to write this book? Um, so uh, it's kind of an interesting story, I, I think, because like I'm pretty new in my career. I, I don't see myself as like a super prestigious professor yet. Like I, I hope someday to be a, a more important person in uh, my field. But like uh, I never would have uh, thought that now would be a good time to write a book. Uh, I'm still establishing myself, etc. Um, but I agreed to do some videos uh, for Georgetown where like they wanted to do some uh, videos where professors from different departments would talk about how their field interfaces with Star Wars. And so there was like the political science of Star Wars and I did some on the physics of Star Wars. Uh, and so I did these and then uh, a representative at Adams Media contacted me after seeing the video saying, we would like you to write this book. And like, this is basically taking two of the things that I love more than anything else in this world and putting them together, Star Wars and physics. And like, I mean, I grew up watching Star Wars. My dad showed me the video, showed me the movies when I was young. And like, I absolutely loved them. I uh, have watched them like repeatedly since. Um, was at opening night for several of them uh, since I was old enough to uh, do that kind of thing. Um, and so they contacted me to write this book. I immediately forwarded the email to my uh, family saying, this has to be a scam, right? Like there's no way anybody's contacting me to write this book. Uh, but then, uh, it wasn't a scam and here I am an author of a book like it, it was like just a kind of perfect coincide a coincidence of uh, things uh, coming together perfectly well that's I, I just have to say that's super super exciting I mean just even just to go to your family Patrick and to say like this is this is a reality right now like yeah. I'm about to write a book about the physics something that I practice and something that I study and something that I'm passionate about yeah. in cooperation with another passion of yours yeah the love of yours I mean that opportunity alone when you look at it and from what you're saying here I mean it's truly a dream scenario is it not yeah oh definitely like uh, I mean I had thought about writing books like uh, I've thought about writing an intro physics textbook which mm -hmm. probably doesn't interest uh, anybody listening to this podcast but uh, like, oh, not so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like uh, I thought about doing that I've thought about uh, writing uh, books like the physics of Star really? Wars uh, already uh but like uh, i i don't know uh like I, I i guess i always thought of that as something i would do somewhere in the amorphous future rather than like actually getting around to doing it right now uh and here i am uh like uh i i got the opportunity and i just said yes and went with it and sure it was a grueling schedule for uh, i don't know four months or whatever it took for me to uh, do most of the writing but like got it done and here it is now one of the things that you you mentioned uh in in the phone call that you and i had the other day mm -hmm. was that the person who was actually correcting proofreading and uh giving you you know star wars knowledge was was the person you think at the beginning of the book your partner correct yes uh she she uh did a lot of reading over it um and she took a lot of my completely nonsensical uh poorly written sentences turned them into uh, very well-written sentences and also uh, several times pointed out like no 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 you got this so wrong like uh, uh, General Grievous is not a human how dare you suggest such a thing and like oh. when I was writing it it's just like oh yeah he has organs so like yeah he has human organs and, and like 
no, no, no. And so she she definitely kept me humble and kept me uh, in line. That is excellent. That is, yeah. It's always good to have a partner like that going into writing something um, yeah. that combines the real world and the fantasy world and tries to make sense of the fantasy world. That actually brings us on to the first point in the book that I would like to, to touch on. Okay. And it, it, it combines one of uh, my favorite physics concepts with uh, one of my absolute favorite uh, statistical concepts. And uh, it's it's the biodiversity in the galaxy. And uh-huh. it, it explains in this chapter how when you walk into the Mos Eisley Cantina, you see like a hundred different alien species. Everything from, you know, Tals to Grand to a friggin' Wookiee. Um, and there's a group of Bith over in the corner. It combines the Drake equation, which is, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong on this, it's the uh, it's the equation that shows the pro- the probability of any other alien race with sufficient technology attempting to contact us and the likelihood of us contacting uh-huh. them, yeah. which also relates to my favorite statistical concept of all time, the Fermi paradox, Yeah, which yeah. is also known as switchboard theory. And uh, Robin, are you familiar with the Fermi paradox at all? Some side <laughs> but I get it. <laughs> That's all I get. Well, and, and and again, please correct me if I'm wrong here. The Fermi paradox states that there, and it's, I've heard it referred to as switchboard theory before, there can be one intelligent race on one side of the galaxy and one on the other, but the interstellar distance in between the two of them is too great for them to be able to possibly, you know, communicate within the lifetime of that species. Hmm. And given... Yeah, yeah, no, you're good. Yeah. great so far. And given in the, uh, in, in that span of distance in that span of time there may be one over here that's like a light bulb going on but another one over here that's like a light bulb that's off and when this light bulb goes on this light bulb is now burned out mm-hmm. and once you have two races that are in the same area of the galaxy with the same level of technology there's now this gap of time that's separating them which is what a lot of the conspiracy theorists out there theorize happened with mars because you know, the universe has been around for almost 14 billion years at this point. And uh, Mars has been around for a considerable amount of time. And uh, I'm going to use an analogy that uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson used on uh, on Cosmos, where if you took the entire history of the universe in kind of a calendar year, the last minute of the last day at December 31st before midnight, if midnight is now, is where the human race as we know it exists. Mm-hmm. And the human race as we know it occupies time and makes a significant impact. So you still have an entire cosmological calendar year before that where there could have been any number of rise and fall of civilizations. And the Drake equation brings into into that the the question of star density, which if you have, and I I think you said something like like the Milky Way galaxy has uh, about 100 billion stars or or give or take in it. And um, the Star Wars galaxy, what's that? A whole lot of it's stars. A lot. <laughs> yeah. The Star Wars galaxy, in order to have this many species in this area of the galaxy all at once communicating with each other, would have to have upwards of a trillion stars, which is, you know, it's, a, it's you know, over a thousand times more stars than the Milky Way would have. That being the absolute, you know, uh, beyond, you know, the gravitational pull of stars and everything, which I was hooked on that first chapter there. And I get into the second chapter, Biodiversity in the Galaxy, I'm like, all right. This makes sense now, and I'm really hooked. Mm-hmm. And that was really what grabbed my attention. And um, I, I guess going on from there, you mentioned General Grievous as well. Yes. And you go into you know explosive decompression and how fast uh-huh. it would cause the air to rush out of the ship and the fact uh-huh. that 
you know, air is actually rushing from other parts of the ship at the same time. So they could have actually survived that. Yeah. And, you know, General Grievous was only outside. He was outside for a survivably long time in zero gravity. Yeah. The amount of thought that you put into this. <laughs> I, and for you to say a few minutes ago that you did this in four months. Uh, it was about uh, three and a half, I think. Uh, started in December. Wow. Uh, fin- submitted my first draft uh, was like early March is when I submitted the first draft. So, uh, like, admittedly, there was editing that happened after that, but the bulk of the writing was in the months of December, January, February, and then a couple weeks in March. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. That, that's, that's actually, that even, I can't even comprehend that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's funny that you bring that up, Patrick, because the entire time I'm hearing you and James talk about this, I'm sitting back and I'm like, oh, Patrick must have been cringing so bad at that scene in Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> when that happened it's like what is what is going on here yeah well so one? Uh, that like the evacuation uh, of the invisible hands bridge yeah. like uh, i i definitely like watching that i would have been like yeah like obviously where, where I, have, I have my next mark by the yeah, way is, uh, is evacuation yeah. of the invisible hand <laughs> yeah and so like I, I definitely thought like oh there's no way this is like this is just movie magic kind of thing and yeah. like honestly watching Star Wars, a lot of it is just movie magic. And like, right. I, I mean, I fully acknowledge there's magic brain powers and that doesn't mean that they exist in the real world. But like, I always wanted to start with the standpoint of, let's assume that this is uh, like exactly the honest truth of what happened. How can I use physics to justify what is shown on screen? And it turned out with the evacuation of the invisible hand, like I started digging deeper and I was like, wait a second. No, actually like, this probably would have been not that far off. Like right. it might not have like when uh, they're holding onto the equipment to like not get sucked out, they might not have been as horizontal as it showed them, but like they'd probably be uh, something similar to that. And general Grievous would have been able to survive outside um, in zero G because like when you think of in movies, like a human uh, is thrown out into outer space, uh, <laughs> Leia, uh, Perhaps uh, what will start to happen is uh, your body at, it will start losing heat, but mm-hmm. uh, predom- predominantly you lose the heat through uh, evaporative cooling. So like the water that makes up 60% of your body or whatever the percentage is, like when it doesn't have air pressure holding it in, will just start evaporating. And evaporating is a cooling process. That's like how sweating works. And so like essentially you sweat yourself into becoming an ice cube. Um, but Grievous like has internal organs contained in a pressurized sack. Right. So since it like all of his biological parts are contained in a pressurized sack, he actually uh, wouldn't have to worry about that so much. Like there probably would be a little bit of evaporative cooling, but not really that much. And then the next biggest effect is radiative cooling. So like you're constantly giving off infrared radiation because you have a body temperature. And that actually takes much, much longer for you to freeze into an ice cube. And so the 15 seconds that he's in zero G uh, like vacuum, like he'd be totally fine. Like maybe come in a bit chilled kind of thing and then keep going about his evil ways. Patrick, are you saying that the Mary Poppins Leia scene is not, is not physically possible? Is that so, what you're saying to Ryan Johnson? Oh, uh, well, uh, so, uh, <laughs> don't mean to put you on the spot. I, I, or no, I, I, I have thought about this. Admittedly, uh, I have not written this in my book at any point because my mm-hmm. book came out before the movie. But if I take the spirit that I had when writing my book and saying like, this definitely happened as shown, how can I now use physics to justify this? Um, there are ways that I can do that. Um, so probably the simplest way is that Leia is shot out into space 
and she uses uh, like her force powers to hold a pocket of air around her to create that air pressure she oh. needs to prevent radiative or sorry evaporative cooling yeah. and then she then uses her force powers to uh like now you may uh, like it may be depicted as she is flying through space to get back uh mary okay. very much mary poppins style <laughs> but she could be using a force pull to pull the ship towards her and like in oh. space from a relative standpoint you can't really tell whether she is moving there or it's moving towards her and so then she can do that. And then once she's back in the ship, they like uh, take her in and like uh, get her back into a pressurized area. She'll be able to recover from there. Um, I am going to say, I, I don't want to throw shade at Ryan Johnson. I don't know if he necessarily thought through all of those details. Right. Um, he might have another explanation as just, it's a dramatic moment in a movie, but like, uh, yeah, like uh, I, I could come up with ways to justify it uh, as talked about there. There could be other uh, explanations as well, but like uh, typically in my book, I just choose the one that I think makes the most sense. And certainly after seeing uh, The Last Jedi, uh, that was a thing where I was like, wait a second, how can I make this work? And like, I sat down, thought about it, talked it through with some friends and like, that was the best we could come up with. Hey, um, hey, hey James, can, can we get can we get Patrick to write a book? Because it's not even Leia I'm concerned about anymore. I'm more concerned about Akbar because that man can hold in some oxygen out in space, and now suddenly he's um, out of the Star Wars. I'm universe. actually I'm going to throw some biology at you here right now, okay? And say that Moncals are an amphibious species, so mm -hmm. he's going to have that layer of mucus around him. Yeah. That layer of mucus is not going to do anything in space. That layer of mucus is going to boil off or, or evaporate off just as quickly as the rest of it. And the yeah. fact that his body can't retain moisture at that, he's going to last even a shorter time in, the, in zero G than a humanist. Listen, yeah. I just I just need Patrick to write a book. Listen, I, I don't let, let's get away from the mucus and everything. But I just need him to write a book about why can't why can Akbar survive in space by by Doctor Johnson? I, I think it'd be a great novel. I think it'd be absolutely fantastic. But judging judging by his facial expressions, he probably agrees with my assessment of that. <laughs> I, I think you're setting me up for uh, something there where I just won't be able to just what's shown on screen that's fine I chill robin i know i just want to have a little fun with that that's all yeah. so going going on that ladies and gentlemen that whole section of the book is page 34 this book not including <laughs> glossary of terms is 232 pages of star wars plus physics awesomeness and i'd like to step on and say this is not just a um a physics book you actually have an an, an uh, economics portion of it mm -hmm. where you discuss trash disposal in <laughs> outer space in the star wars universe yeah and that when i got to that when i started reading through that chapter i was sitting at my desk at work leafing through this book in a dead spell and i hit that spot and i just started laughing and i had a guest walking past the desk who was just mm -hmm. like what is so funny so I explained it to the guests too, and and this particular guest that I have, I can't reveal names and obviously anything like yeah, that. No, that's fine. Um, they uh, they are also a, a a big fan of physics and a big fan of uh, the sciences and a big fan of Star Wars. And I, I discussed the book with them earlier. That actually got out and bought a copy and had started reading it. So we were discussing this during their hotel stay, and uh, they said that they had the exact same reaction when they got to that spot. And Robin, just to give you an overview on this, there's giant trash planets floating in the Star Wars universe that are, you know, outside of shipping lanes and everything. And mm -hmm. they're not planets that have had trash dumped on them. Like, if you read through the history of Coruscant, Coruscant is an entire landfill on the lower levels. The lower five levels of the 5,000-some-odd, they got filled with trash. Because um, people just tend to chuck stuff down those big holes. 
go all the way down. Other other places in the galaxy, the most reasonable explanation that I've I've seen so far is from this book. Because you see that Star Destroyers just drop trash in the middle of space and everything. They don't really have an efficient way of disposing of it. So you got to assume that like the, the Pacific trash vortex and everything, there's areas of space where trash has just kind of, you know, come together over thousands of years. And you probably have entire landfill planets. An interesting thought that I had while we're, while we're thinking about that is, some of these things can start retaining atmosphere, whether it's breathable or not, who knows. But they're going to have their own gravitational pull. Maybe there's denizens of these trash balls in space who don't know they're just trash balls and think they're trash on a planet. You know, it's not an actual landfill planet. It's literally a planet landfill. It's it's great. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually kind of curious as to what led you to think about the trash in the Star Wars universe <laughs> and write uh, that chapter. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, like when I was coming up with ideas for the uh, book, like it was a great <laughs> excuse to go back and rewatch all the movies again. Uh, and like I really wanted to try to, one, feature uh topics from as many different movies as possible but to like not just like the things that you would expect from a physics of star wars book watching uh like uh, the scene where uh the millennium falcon like disguises itself in uh the released trash i was thinking to myself like well they say it's like standard protocol to release your trash before hopping to light speed. And I was like, well, what would be the consequences of that? Because like, uh, I imagine there's common uh, like transport lanes, like where you're following like the same path, oh. you go to the same place in space and then hop to light speed because there's just like a easier, uh, like, I don't know, like your uh, fewer th- obstacles you have to worry about, which um, different story about like whether when you're in hyperspace, you actually do have to worry about obstacles or not. But um, like, what would happen if you just kept dumping your trash in the same locations in space? Because like, if you do that on a boat or on the highway, you'll just get trash on the side of the highway. But in space, like it could float off. Um, and if you just dumped enough in one place, it would gravitationally attract and be just like the formation of planets and stars at the uh, beginning parts of our universe, where there's just a bunch of, in that case, uh, particles like atoms or uh, dust particles um, just slowly gravitationally attracting to like become bigger and bigger balls until they turn into planets or stars or whatever Um, here you're starting with bigger chunks of space trash and then like they form together and honestly like one of the things that I thought about like and when I first thought about this I didn't know off the top of my head like is this accurate or not but I was thinking like well wait a second Growing up, uh, I played the Nintendo 64 uh, Shadows of the Empire game, um, and yep. like there's a level on Ord Man- uh, Mantel where it's like a junkyard planet, it seemed like, and I thought, wait a second, wouldn't it be really cool if that was actually the lore of the planet of, like, it was just a bunch of trash that got dumped in space and, uh, like, formed into a planet, and um, does not appear like that is exactly the origin story of the planet, but, like, it is considered a junkyard planet, and so... Like the premise isn't that far off um, uh, of like a possibility to actually be in the canon of Star Wars. And so I thought that would be really interesting to talk about. That is an awesome theory right there. Yeah. And Another also, theory. Oh, yeah. I, I was going to yeah. say, and also like, uh, like in the book, I always try to like talk about like, here's what's going on in the Star Wars universe and like how we can justify what we see. But then there's always a, a, a like a companion section uh, where I talk about this is what's going on in our real world or like how close are we to this technology or these kinds of things. And so uh, like, uh, I don't know if you've gotten this far, but like uh, talking about uh, communicating with droids and stuff, like how do we communicate with our computers and like uh, looking at 
how we currently communicate and like looking at artificial intelligence and where it's currently at. Um, and with something like uh, the trash, as you mentioned, the Pacific trash, gyre, gyre, never know how to say that word, but like, uh, like that is a real issue on our planet that like, I don't think my book is going to bring the necessary attention to it that like will lead to the cleaning up of all the plastics, but like just being able to talk about uh, issues that we have going on in our planet that are relevant uh, to what I'm discussing in the Star Wars universe, I think is important. Um, and so Absolutely. I try to throw in uh, useful tidbits about things in our own universe here and there. Absolutely. That that's actually that's not something that I thought about while I was reading it, but that's an excellent way to bring uh, to bring attention to something that is definitely a massive problem. Yeah. The other theory that I wanted to jump onto here okay. is one that has bugged me since the beginning of Star Wars, mm -hmm. and, and one that I actually thought about the way you represent it in the book mm -hmm. a few times over uh, over my high school and and military career when I was sitting in the middle of Afghanistan and really didn't have much else to do. Luke is described originally as being twenty years old. Mm -hmm. And Leia is 18 years old. Mm -hmm. We know that they're twins. Yes. And I always, when I was younger, thought of it as, you know, an approximation of Luke's age. Like they rounded up to the nearest 10. Yeah. But theory of relativity. Yes. Something moves at close to light speed. Mm -hmm. It's not, it, it, it ages slower than mm -hmm. something that's not. Yeah. And discounting your whole your whole stellar rotational speeds, you know, at the core of the galaxy versus the edge of the galaxy, stars rotating around the center of the galaxy, fat they were at the outer at the outer uh, arms, and the outer arms actually moving more quickly because they have to move linearly faster. And in in that case, you know, as I said there's sometimes being you know fifty percent more distance between any two given planets. I believe you used Naboo and uh, oh god, was it Tatooine? I, I I assume it was Tatooine because like that's where Luke basically spent his entire life. Uh, and yeah, yeah like uh, trying to uh, that is one of the things that like growing up before I ever pursued physics, like it was definitely something I thought about of like them being twins but different ages. And like before knowing physics, I was like, gosh, they got that one wrong, or like totally tried to wreck right. on a thing. But like upon learning physics it's like actually that's totally legit like that's what we call the twin paradox of like you and your twin can be exactly the same age one of you goes off to space turns around comes back and turns out they're younger than you now and uh yep. we have done experiments to verify this and like uh one of the things that i think is most interesting associated with this is because like you may think like okay but all of the examples that we've ever tested, it's like an atomic clock gets shifted by 200 nanoseconds and it's like, whoop-de-doo, uh, why should we care about this? Why is this legit? But like um, going back uh, historically, like observing the planets, like Mercury was always a little bit out of place for uh, from what Newton was predicting. And so like, we were just like, oh, well, maybe like it, we're just missing something that's like a small thing. But it wasn't until Einstein proposed general relativity where it's like, oh wait, his theory, predicts exactly where mercury should be perfectly it's like oh well that's a good sign and then like when we established uh, our gps satellites like it still wasn't fully like bought in that like general relativity was an important effect and so they like programmed into the satellites because maintenance of those is difficult once they're in space right. like the correction for general and special relativity and then they sent them off to space but they had the general relativity uh part switched off and then uh they're like uh looking at the predictions and it's like, oh, you are standing exactly where you are. And it's like, good, this is working. But then after a day, it was wildly off and then flipped on those general relativity corrections and boom, GPS works uh, exceptionally well now. And so without these general relativity, special relativity things, we wouldn't have GPS as we know it. 
right. and then like going just from the canon of Star Wars, like I'm not going to say that necessarily uh, George, I call him George because we're, we're on first name basis, obviously. Uh, I'm not going to say that I feel 100% confident that he considered special relativity when deciding that, oh, Luke would be 20 and Leia would be 18, but twins, uh, and this makes perfect sense. But like from an honest standpoint, they were both born at the same location and pretty much immediately Luke was dumped on Tatooine and then didn't go anywhere, like uh, pretty much. Uh, whereas Leia being a senator and a princess is like zooming around the galaxy doing all kinds of things. And that's exactly what you'd need for her to end up being two years younger than Luke after 18 years. And so, or 20 years, depending on which reference frame you're talking about. Yeah, like it turns out it could totally work out uh, with the one asterisk of relativity applies to our current universe as we know it. And whether hyperspace is something else like that uh, could affect the aging aspect of things. But uh, I'm just willing to kind of stop at relativity can justify this. Absolutely. And that, that was one of the things that I, that I really, really, really liked was you had Luke stationary, Leia zipping around the galaxy at near light speed. And while at, at that point, the, the corrections are minor, if they're doing it for a long enough time, say 18, 20 years, mm -hmm. it can definitely have an effect. Yeah. And, and that yeah. really, really just buttered my egg roll. And I'm telling you, man, that was, <laughs> <laughs> that made me happy. What is one character amongst all the Star Wars films that you gravitate towards? Ah, I see, I'm trying to be funny. Um, that you gravitate <laughs> towards uh, in the Star Wars universe as one of your favorites? Uh, well, uh, I guess it depends on which time in my life you're talking about. Like, Because sure. uh, like, when I was a very young child, uh, uh, I am not going to apologize for this, but like, I loved the Ewoks. Like, they were my nice. favorite. I know that's not a popular opinion, but like... What uh, uh, no, I absolutely loved like just watching them like take out uh, AT ATSTs and like uh, uh, the stormtroopers like loved that scene, um, and so the, there was that. And then like in my teenage years, uh, I think it goes without saying that Boba Fett became one of my favorites. Yeah. Like uh, I feel like that's just a stereotype at this point. Be angst, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like, I, gosh, like at this point, uh, like. I don't really know because like one uh, we're just starting to get to know like Ray and Kylo Ren and like I think they could have interesting arcs to go um, I like just from a movie introducing me to a character and drawing me in like the mm -hmm. opening uh, scene of The Force Awakens with Ray and it's like basically just like no talking or anything she's just going about her life like that really brought me into her character in a way that like I, I didn't think a movie could do in such a short amount of time. Uh, I so. can't stand Ray. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. You're wrong. Um, but, um, uh, uh, ooh. Hold, hold on, Mr. <laughs> Professor of Physics over there. Uh -huh. Reasonable explanation for everything the way the universe works. Uh -huh. We have another protagonist mm -hmm. who is a teenager who inexplicably comes into force powers. Mm -hmm. They are using the same plot device over again. I do not dislike... Daisy Ridley. I do not dislike her portrayal of Ray. I think that with what she was given, she did a fantastic job. I don't find the character believable. I don't find her a necessary part of the universe. And I think the best thing they can do in the next movie is kill Ray off and let the First Order win. Um, well, uh, I don't want to get into the business of trying to write movies because like, I feel like no matter going. what I suggest, uh, it's not going to be satisfying to some demographic of the crowd because like Ooh. i think no matter what they do 
there's going to be a demographic that's upset about it. Like very good point. If you, they do, what you do like, there's going to be lots of people upset about that. If they like have Daisy uh, and Ray become like, I don't know, uh, the, the next Luke, like who goes off and starts her own Jedi Academy. There'll be people who are upset about that. If she and Kylo Ren get married and like run off to uh, wherever and, and like, just kind of start their own life and say, screw the rest of the universe. People will be upset about that. Like, uh, I think it's impossible to please everybody, but like, I just like, I agree with you that like a lot of the kind of like story beats of, uh, the force awakens were very a new hopey. Um, but like, I think that given the way that like the original movies made for an excellent trilogy, um, the prequels, for prequels um <laughs> and, and like uh, just another not so popular opinion like i think that uh, uh the phantom menace is underappreciated and i think it is Thank unfairly you. maligned with the other two um uh like it don't has worry its, robin i'm not gonna jump onto that one it no has, same for jim it, it has its flaws like I, i'm not gonna say whatever but duel of the fates is like one of the greatest things that's ever been so hmm. Just deal with it if that's uh, a problem. Uh, <laughs> I love that answer. But uh, like, I, I, but I think to have a movie with like that's playing it safe. I think to say like, hey, look, this is back in good hands, uh, and um, we can talk about the Last Jedi and some of its issues if you really want to. But like, um, I, I think the things that they did in the Force Awakens, I think, really helped give me the faith in their ability to. Uh, like kind of recapture the magic of the original trilogy mm -hmm. um, to keep me coming back to the next few movies, which if that's their goal, congratulations, they succeeded on that. Um, yeah. What they do with it, like they can certainly lose me again. Uh, but sure. like, but yeah, so like if I had to choose a favorite character, like I, I coming back to your original question, like I, I wanted to give credit to Ray, but like overall, this might be kind of an absurd answer but it has to be Chewbacca. Like, nice. I, I just feel like he's always like useful. Like he's there when he's needed. Like, yep. uh, like he doesn't actually like communicate anything that we can understand, but like the dynamic that he has with Han is amazing. Yes. Like uh, growing up, I love trying to make Chewbacca noises and I can't say that I'm any good at them, but like I loved doing it. And like, I don't know. I'm, have you seen Solo yet? I have. Uh, and the idea that he has spent okay possibly years of his life feasting on human flesh in a cage um, somewhat terrifies me, but uh, <laughs> that seems to be the story they're proposing. Um, so uh, yes, but like, I don't know, like he, he like, especially like, uh, I, I know opinions on Solo have been mixed at best, but like just the little bits of story about Chewbacca and that like when they're uh, trying to uh, capture, uh, sorry, uh, like I'm not going to be able to remember all the words, but like capture the fuel to like bring it uh, away and like, yeah, uh, Han, yeah. like Han's like, no, go take care of your fellow Wookiees. And then he comes back and like helps out. Like, I, I don't know. That seemed very uh, true to Chewbacca there. And I appreciated that. And so uh, like he, he would be my choice because he's super loyal. Even when he doesn't get a medal at the end, it's like uh, <laughs> he's still there to help out. That's a really great point. That's uh, a very good answer. I mean, um, I, I feel like Chewbacca gets underappreciated sometimes, James. I think we all appreciate that answer here at the network. What's your favorite Star Wars movie so far? <sighs> so, uh, like, like it, as, as I kind of alluded to before, like, uh, it probably has evolved over time. Like, certainly uh, the one that 
I feel like has the most uh, value to me in my life is Return of the Jedi. Like, mm -hmm. uh, I know that Empire Strikes Back is the answer that I'm supposed to give, but like, I'm sorry, like, just growing up, that's the movie that hit me the most. I, mm -hmm. I thought, like, going back and rewatching it, I still think it's a well-made movie, uh, and I still enjoy it quite a bit. I, but like, kind of, the Force Awakens, I feel like in my mind, I don't know how much of it is just recency, but also like just kind of recovering from episode three. Like uh, it just was like, mm -hmm. when I walked out of there, I was like, oh yeah, that was like really good. I'll say going back and rewatching it, I'm like, okay, maybe I was a little bit kind of starstruck with like the opening scene. And then also yeah. just like having the bar set so low, like, uh, but uh, I think that is up there. Uh, but like, I also, I don't want to pass a full judgment on any of the newest ones until I've seen the full arc of the uh, episode seven, eight, nine, because I feel yeah. like how that plays out can retroactively go back and affect how I feel about the earlier one. But Return of the Jedi is my personal favorite. I can accept that answer gladly. Well, the greatest lightsaber duel is with Darth Maul and uh, Phantom Menace, so. Oh, it is that time here at the podcast network on Make the Jump and on every single podcast. We do here at the Brick City Blockade. It's a little thing we like to call James. Plug time. It's plug time here at the Brick City Blockade. James, where can the good people find you across social media? You can find me on Facebook, voiceoveracting1212, uh, Twitter at I'm not really him 9 and on uh, Instagram at uh, voiceoveracting1212 as well. You can also find me on uh, Hollow Table Hangouts and the Brick City Blockade Podcast Network mostly doing intros but occasionally offering opinions that nobody else agrees with i don't know if i fully agree with that i think some people agree with you you and jim have a good chemistry when it comes to you're yeah very true i also get really drunk and tell you that ray is a terrible character in the stand up for <laughs> one in october so <laughs> oh shame. shame 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 no no shame whatsoever none whatsoever <laughs> i'm gonna go out to karaoke tonight and i'm saying the devil went down to jamaica i mean what do you want <laughs> yeah that's an in interesting uh, way to close out your little plug time there mr james brown they know where to find you and they know what you're singing patrick yep, charlie's tap house down <laughs> in hampton beach i'll be there until around about midnight <laughs> patrick where can the good people find you and all your works uh so uh i i am uh much to the chagrin of my publisher i am i'm not very present on social medias okay. uh, i do have a twitter account uh it is at j-o-h-n-s-o-p-g it's the first six letters of my last name first initial middle initial uh but like uh if you decide to follow me you'll mostly be disappointed uh that i don't tweet that often uh so uh like if you really want to find me there uh you can uh but like also uh if you want to get a hold of me uh, you can find me on Georgetown Physics's website and contact me through that. Email is much better than phone calls, uh, so uh, that would be how to get a hold of me. If you want to find my book, it's sold wherever books are sold, so your Amazons, your Barnes and Nobles, uh, etc. Like find it there. Um, if I could just throw in a quick plug for buying it on Amazon because Amazon provides a really nifty uh, author ranking and book ranking, and so mm. I can see how I rate versus all eight million books on Amazon and. So I definitely don't obsessively check that every single day to see how I'm doing. Like you just uh, did. Where are you now? Uh, well, that's a good question. Uh, earlier today, I was around 200,000. Um, but uh, let's see, currently numbered 252,749. Um, hey. Back in the day. Out of 8 million, that's good. Yeah. Uh, on release day, I broke uh, the top 5,000. So that was pretty exciting. Um, I was uh, somewhere around like 4,700th uh, best book on Amazon. So. Uh, I will forever have that. I have a screenshot of that day when I was like number one in physics and astronomy textbooks. And I took a screenshot of being 
a little bit ahead of uh, a Neil deGrasse Tyson book that came out like 10 years earlier. And so uh, <laughs> I was like, aha, take that, Neil. So uh, yeah, wherever uh, you want to find my book, uh, it should be available. Uh, also, feel free to support your local bookstores. Uh, I, I always love supporting local bookstores. You can follow me over on Twitter at MrVoteTweets. Head on over, follow all my Star Wars tomfoolery and everything happening at the podcast at the official vote. Please make sure to check out www.brickcityblockade.com for everything happening in that galaxy far, far away and beyond. Public pick up one of our Brick City Blockade t-shirts to help support the network. Patreon, your monthly sponsorship, helps uh, bring different people on, helps us bring epic content to you the fans and please make sure to check out our starlight donation center over at salsa labs.starlight.org forward slash brick city blockade podcast network page you can make a donation we've breached our 1000 let's get it up to 5000 by christmas time and bring more smiles to kids faces patrick it has been awesome having you here on make the jump james and i cannot thank you enough uh, i would like to say one more thing by the way yes, yes. anybody who is, who is who who is considering buying the book go and do it immediately um all, all joking and shenanigans aside it is a fantastically well-written book it's 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 funny it's informative it throws the entire star wars universe in into this new light and the most important thing that it did for me is it gave a real depth and reality to the Star Wars universe. That's mine. Um, it gave a real depth and reality to the Star Wars universe that wasn't there before. And I really think that you brought something special and unique uh, and something that nobody else has ever done before far away that we all know and love very well. Well, thank you very much for your compliments and your plugs. Uh, perhaps I'll uh, take that quote and put uh, that on the back of uh, the next printing and say, said by James Brown and uh, really confused the rest of the world. That would be funny as hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is. If, if you do that, I want a copy of it. <laughs> well, uh, I, I think my publisher will have uh, some say in that. Uh, but like, uh, if it can be done, I'll see what I can do. Oh, that is so great. Thank you guys so much for listening to Make the Jump here from the BrickCityBlockade.com podcast network. For Patrick and for James, this is Robin Vogt signing off. And as we always say here at the Podcast Network, stay cool and may the force be with you. Always. <laughs>